so many of our songs are really straight from the Psalms, and if I would have had more time this afternoon, I would have looked up all the references for you, but we had school issues and all that, but um, the next song we're going to sing, I got to teach to two people, Spencer and Joseph didn't know this song, and so this is showing a little bit of our age, and that's great, but hopefully you'll remember, this is straight from the Psalms, what did we say, Kristen, Psalm 36? 36, Psalm 36. So I think you'll I think you'll know it, I think you'll remember it. Let's sing about his faithfulness. Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky.
days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Cause all my life you have been faithful for your kindness in being here. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're moving into a little uh, transition. It's not an easy transition. Uh, I hope that uh, you will be able to uh, go with me. It's really radical, uh, in my mind anyway. Uh, it's one thing to talk about concept. Jesus starts out in Matthew chapter 5. 
in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, by giving us concept, by giving us the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the theology. It's the, uh, it's the philosophy of, of, of what he wants. And that's, that's easy for me to deal with because I can discuss it. I can argue about it. I can debate it. I can analyze it. I can dissect it. But then he moves in this, sec in this section that we're dealing with tonight, which is verse, begins at verse 21 through the end of the chapter, with the practical application. And he says, let's take this whole concept and let's drag it into the middle of your life. Let's take it down into the relational area of your living. Let's talk about it in terms of how this is going to affect how you react, how you think, uh, what's going on, and the day-in and day-out grind of your everyday living. And that's much more difficult. So we're looking tonight at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And it's the section where he begins six illustrations applying all that he said up to this point. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. I know that in your theological progression, you have come to the place where you recognize biblically that you cannot define sin in terms of the action of the deed. You see somebody doing something that you would consider evil, but the evil is not found in the action of the deed. The evil is found way beyond that. If the evil was found in the action of the deed, we could make a list of evil deeds, evil actions, and we would say, hey, I won't do those, therefore I don't sin. So every time I don't do anything on the list, I am living in righteousness and purity. But you and I understand biblically that that's not the way it is. That you cannot define sin by the action of the deed, that it's way beyond that. Now when you go to the scriptures, for instance in Romans chapter 1, there is a list of sins. He talks about the pagans, and here's a list of sins, the deeds that they do, actions. You go to Galatians chapter 5, works of the flesh. He gives another list. But it's interesting, they're not the same list. So that tells you that there's not an exhaustive list. In other words, a list that's complete. And as long as we don't do anything on, those, on that list, we are okay. But you can't do that. Now there are some things that always, always time, every time you do that action, it's going to end up being a sin. But the reason it's a sin is not because of the action. The reason it's a sin is way beyond that. And the reason that it is a sin, what makes a, the action sinful is the motive, the source where it comes from, what causes it, what produces it. That's what makes it a sin. That means, it really complicates things, because that means, folks, that anything could become a sin. If it was wrong, it was done with the wrong motive. 
For instance, God comes to me and says, Manly, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I said, well, hey, God, I want to do what you want me to do, but uh, I have some preferences. What do you desire, God? So God says, Manly, for the rest of your life, here's my plan for you. I want you to clean out toilets. I say, God, I'm not going to clean out toilets. I don't mind cleaning out a toilet or two. But, hey, I'm not going to give my whole life to just cleaning out toilets. I mean, come on, cleaning out toilets? Yes, Manly, every time you see a toilet, go at it, boy. Get with the program. No, God, I don't want to do that. What are you going to do with the rest of your life. I say, God, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll preach for you. Preaching would be a sin. That means that the best deed on my best day could be the worst thing I've ever done. Because it isn't about the action of the deed, it's about what produces it, where it comes from, the motive involved in it. Do, do you get a hold of that? See, that marches us right into the middle of the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is saying, hey guys, we're moving to a whole new arena, a whole new level, a whole new deal. We're moving out of the old covenant. We're moving into the new covenant. We're moving into the fullness of the Spirit. Oh, it's going to be great. And what's going to happen into you, there's going to be a whole new motive within you. And he starts the premise, as we've talked about every service, he starts the premise with this idea, you are poor in spirit. You're absolutely helpless. And because you are absolutely helpless, you're not helpless because you've sinned. Again, you sin because you're helpless. You are helpless, and the reason you're helpless is because God created you that way. He wants you to be helpless. You're supposed to be helpless. You're not supposed to be in charge. You were made to be dependent, not independent. And in my dependency, in my helplessness, if I will embrace that, he will come in the amazing resource of his person and we will merge together and become this new creature that is literally sourced by all the divine power and presence and energy of God, the sovereign God himself. And anything that is not sourced by that divine presence, that divine urgency, that divine resource, that empowerment, that fusion, that merger, that welding, that oneness, that intimacy, anything that's not sourced by that is sinful. Now what happens if I am helpless and I won't admit it? And we discussed this a little bit one other time. But what happens if I am helpless and I won't admit it? Then if I begin to operate out of the source of myself, my own helplessness. And what I do is, think about this. What I do is I reach out and I grab a hold of every area, every situation, every circumstance of my life, and I manipulate it for myself. I have to. Why? Because I have no resource. So I have to fight, guard, grab, get a hold of everything, everything that will feed in the holiness movement, we call that carnality because it's the, it's the life operating out of a selfishness, a self-centeredness, a focus on the self. It operates out of self-energy and self-resource. And I have to manipulate. See, I have to guard. I have to protect because I, don't, I can't give away. I can't be generous. I can't flow because I don't have. i got to guard every issue, every, every bit of energy and resource that I have in my life. I have to guard that. I have to protect it. Why? Because I'm, I'm helpless. Do you see that's why the law produced the Pharisees? See, here's the law of God. How am I going to do that? 
I'm helpless. So I reach out and I grab a hold of the law and I manipulate the law to fit my needs. I adjust the law to, an, to a, a level that I can accomplish and I develop a whole pride issue. So I give charitable deeds. Oh yes, I do, I do charitable deeds, but I do them to be seen by men. And if I don't do them, this is Matthew chapter 6, if I don't do them to be seen by men, I at least do them because it makes me feel good. So I derive from what I do my own self-benefit. And Jesus says, that's not what this is about. Don't you understand what this is about? I am to be filled with him. And when filled with him, he becomes the source that literally energizes and flows every bit of my life. Can you imagine standing in front of a whole group of uh, teenagers and inviting them and encouraging them and challenging them to, to give their life to full-time ministry. What would be your approach? Well, your approach would be, um, hey, be a movie star for Jesus. Uh, be the incredible hawk for Christ. Uh, be the superman for God. Be the multi-million dollar businessman for God. Be the beauty queen for Jesus. See, that's attractive. You know how Jesus approached ministry? He's just taken his disciples and spilled them out, had them in a prayer meeting and said, hey, we're going to duplicate our ministry. And in Matthew chapter 10, he gives a whole seminar on ministry before they go out. And you know how he presents ministry? He says, you are sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep are the dumbest animal in the world. And they have no protection. Is that alluring to you? Oh, Jesus, I want to be a sheep. And then on top of it, he says, I'm going to come to you, the dumbest animal in the world with no protection, and I'm going to give you an address. And when you look at the address, you're going to recognize that's in wolf territory. You want me to go down there and bang on Mr. Wolf's door? Yeah. Why would I do that? Because he's going to bite me. You're going to invite him to. So you're going to go down and knock on his door and say, hey, bite me. It's called ministry. And you're going to be the first taste of Jesus he's going to get. See, that, that takes a helplessness. Do you, do you? So ministry is not doing the deed in an excellent way. On our district, we had uh, training on, on, uh, once a year for everybody. We had workshops and so forth, you know, on the Saturday thing with Sunday school deal. You know how it is. And uh, the committee was meeting to decide what workshops we wanted to have. And they decided to have a workshop on greeting, how to greet down at the church. Oh, God. And you know who they were going to have do the workshop? The manager of Chick-fil-A. Now, what does that tell you? 
See, it, it doesn't get this. It doesn't recognize that what real greeting, what real ministry is, that I am filled with him and he is so in me that when I grab your hand, I'm literally zapping you with the essence of Jesus and I'm, something in me is flowing to you and it's not how well I whack you on the back. It isn't how well I smile at you. It isn't what the beauty of my badge. It's that there's something in me that's affecting you as you walk through that door. But you can't do that if you're helpless and operating out of your helplessness. So see, Jesus' whole approach in this thing is that I am absolutely helpless. And oh, do you see, I've got to have him. I've, he's got to come in the wonder of his resource. And he's got to fill me. He's got to literally, I've got to merge with him. So that everything in my life is a result of and a flow out of the very resource and essence of his presence in my life. Now, how would that act on the street? the function of the kingdom. He moves us then from the formation of the kingdom and the Beatitudes to the function on the street in verse 13 down through verse 16 and says it's salt and light, which is a being imagery. In other words, it's not something I'm going to do in terms of action. It's something I'm going to be. So the doing that takes place in my life is literally driven by this internal can't help myself kind of thing that's deep within me. And then he moves to where we talked last night in verse 17 and says, let me begin to talk to you about the fulfillment of the kingdom. And he begins to talk about the law and the prophets, the scriptures. And he didn't come to destroy that thing. He came to fulfill it. And that in this merger, you and I literally become the fulfillment of everything that's found in the scriptures itself. Now he comes to a pivotal point in this whole presentation, and it's verse 20, where he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read it again. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter Enter, note the enter, enter, even begin in the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you know how radical that was to the mind of the disciple as he was talking to them? They could not conceive how anybody could be more righteous than the Pharisee. Come on. How can you go to church more than every time the church doors are open? See, how can you pray any more than praying every time the prayer hour is scheduled? How can you tithe more? The Pharisee had a little patio out back of his house and he had a little herb plant. And every time he'd pick an herb, it was the size of the end of your finger, about the size of a pea. He would slice off 10%. That beats anything you do, brother. <laughs> See, how are you going to tithe more than... Come on, how are you going to be more religious? How are you going to be more righteous than all, keeping all the... Jesus says, you don't get it, see? In this merger, in this oneness, my helplessness being filled with him, in the essence of the fullness of the Spirit, in the new creature deal. We're moving to a whole new level. And listen, we're not moving to a whole new level in the fact of I'll enter in and develop that. Do you understand if this doesn't take place in your life, if you aren't merged with him in your helplessness, you don't even get through the door. Because he uses the word enter. Now, when he gets done with that, he throws up his hands and says, I know you didn't get that. 
I know that. You don't have any idea what I'm talking about. So he says, I want to illustrate it for you. And he gives six illustrations. Now, here's the irritating thing about the illustrations. I have desperately, trust me, I have desperately searched these illustrations. I've gone over them and over them and over them. I spent hours trying to figure out an area of my life that isn't covered with one of these six illustrations. See, if I could find one area of my life that isn't covered with the, one of these illustrations, then I could do what I want to do. <laughs> but I can't find any area of my life that isn't covered in the six. Now, obviously, since there's six, and we've only got two nights, tonight and tomorrow night, we're not going to go through all of these. But we're going to start with verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Come on, everybody has bad days. I know that. Everybody has some kind of temper, anger issue in their life. I got that. Everybody gets upset. I know. Hey, I popped out of my mother's womb, and the minute I did, some dude slapped me, and I've been mad ever since. I mean, I, I can't help it. It was the way I was raised. We were raised that way. My dad was that way. I was, came from an abusive family. My dad dropped me twice on my head when I was a kid, and I can't help the way I am. And I've got this rage, this anger, this bitterness, this, I've got this, hey, and you got to deal with it. I know that. I take 10, 10 cold showers a day. I'm trying to get this thing under control. I understand that it's not right. But what am I going to do with this? So in our society, and man, this is really strong in the court system. And what we're doing in Lebanon, Tennessee, the guys come out of jail and they are required to take anger management. Management courses. Manage that anger. This riling inside of you, this thing that gets away from you, this temper that just flares up when things don't go your way and you get out of control and it just rares up, you got to learn to deal with that. And you're right. i got to learn to deal with that. I've been to anger management class 10 times and got mad every time. I, I don't know what to do about it. I'm trying my best. I'm working on this really hard because I want to learn to manage. And hey, you got to draw lines. You're right. you got to put boundaries around your temper. Absolutely. Everybody has bad days and you can't just fly off and do everything you want to do. You're right. you got to, hey, I, but I can't help the... So I've drawn lines on it. What's the line you've drawn? There is a line across I will over which I will not go. I will not cross that line. What's the line? I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> I'm not going to kill you. It's the best I can do, folks. I'm going to take your picture and put it on a wall down at my house and get a shotgun and blow your stinking head clear off. But hey, I'm not going to really do it. Hey, I'm going to dream at night about putting a noose around your neck. and you. But hey, I'm not really going to do it. Hey, I'm going to badmouth you. You can count on it every place I go. And by the time I get done, you'll probably move from the church. But I'm not going to kill you. That's a line I'm not going to cross. I really feel good about myself. It's the best I can do. 
But I say to you, whoever is angry. What? You mean I can't get angry? That's impossible. You are right. I get angry just thinking about not getting angry. You're exactly right. I can't, everybody, no, no, but nobody can live up to that. You're right. That's an impossible stand. You're right. And if to be holy and be a Christian and be in this, you can't get angry, then hey, count me out because there's no chance I will ever. But folks, you just proved his point. You're helpless. You're helpless. If you had any doubt of it before, you have no doubt now. You are absolutely helpless and there's no way you can ever pull this off because Jesus is presenting to us an impossible, impossible standard of Christianity. This is right down ridiculous. Hey, I've learned to control it. Okay. I've learned to put a lid on it. Right. I've learned even to smile while I'm doing it. Mad or no hornet. But it's still there. And there isn't a thing in the world. I, I cannot stop that. Hey, I have emotions. And I am what I am. This is impossible. I know. Which again, do you get it? Proves his point. You're helpless, aren't you? <laughs> but folks, would you entertain the idea that there is a possibility that the sovereign God who died for you could actually invade your flesh and go to the gut level of your living, the source of your existence, and so give you his heart that you would feel like he feels? And that Christianity would not be what you accomplished. It would be the wonder of his Sourcing presence, heartbeat in your life. Is that possible? Well, preacher, it might be possible, but it's not probable. There might be one out of every hundred thousand Christians that get that. Folks, if it's possible, I want it. I want in on that. And could I correct our language? What he's saying is, if it isn't, if it's possible, then that's the standard of Christianity. This is what we expect. This is where he wants to take you. This is where he wants to take me in my innermost being. Now, frankly, if Jesus would have stopped right there, I would have said, well, 
Let me think about this. And I would have pondered it, and I would have worked it out in my life to accept the not getting upset, not getting angry. I, but he didn't quit there. Do you see what he does? He moves on. Look at the rest of the verse in verse 22. Look at the rest of the verse. And whoever says, after he says, don't get angry, he says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now you're, what are you doing, Jesus? You're going to equate hell fire and calling somebody fool? What's this racka deal? It's our word, it's their word for our word, idiot. Ever driven down the road, somebody cuts you off, you say, you idiot! Then he gets pulled over by the police. <laughs> what an idiot. Now, I've quit using the word fool, and I've quit using the word idiot. Why? Because my mom washed my mouth out with soap. So I don't use those words. So, hey, it's not, this is no problem for me, because I don't call people idiots, and I don't call people fools. What we do down in my area, we don't use those words. What we do down in the South is, we, again, as we said the other night, we, we look at them and say, well, bless their little heart. <laughs> and if we don't say that, we do it with the eyes. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about demeaning and belittling. Man, this is hard, isn't it? Which has nothing to do with saying words like idiot and fool, it has everything to do with the way I feel about you, that you're just not, brother. Do you think my son-in-law doesn't know how I feel? Hey, I never say anything against him. I shake his hand. I help him fix his flat tire. supposed to do with that, folks? I can't change my prejudice. And there are so many idiots and fools in our society that I don't have any problem looking at a lot. I mean... Do you see how impossible this is? but I just proved his point, didn't I? I'm helpless. <laughs> See, there is no way that I can confront every individual in my relational world as an equal. Hey, there's no way I'm going to get a bowl and towel and wash everybody's feet. <laughs>
we uh, planted a church in Lebanon, Tennessee back in 2009. And uh, hey, my choice was I wanted a church of the upper middle class American, uh, mostly millionaires. Uh, and I wanted to minister to that group. And uh, what we've ended up with is a compassionate ministry church. And I won't go into the details of how all of that developed, but we ended up with a whole bunch of guys coming out of jail, uh, alcoholics, uh, drug addicts, uh, people of brokenness, uh, people who smoke, people who... Uh, their lifestyle, they go through this cycle, they're in and out of jail, they're just, we have a year program, they all come to church on Sunday. And what has been so interesting is, the reason we ended up with just that group is because nobody else wanted to come. I mean, when you see 40 guys standing out in front of the church smoking cigarettes, you don't drive by and say, oh, I think I'll go there. <laughs> See, we can't get decent families to come. We can't get families with kids to come. They're scared. See, we have a hard time finding somebody in the community who doesn't. No, I'm willing to give you money to you so you can mess with them. Because it makes me feel good. I contributed. What am I supposed to do with those feelings? See, I can't change my prejudices. I can't change the way I feel. And hey, if none of that relates to you, great. How about this? This lady came up to me in, in our church and said, I'm not coming back anymore. I said, well, why? She said, and her face got all screwed up. She said, I'm hurt. You hurt me. I turned to her and said, do you know what you just did when you said that? You just hung a sign around your neck and said, I'm carnal. Do you see how self? Oh, I'm hurt. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on a cross saying, they hurt me. Do you see what the call of this is? This is a call to embrace my helplessness. Am I any more helpless? Am I not as helpless as the drug addict? Am I not as helpless as the prostitute? Am I not as helpless as the... Who is it that's not... Who is it that's more helpless than I am? So ladies and gentlemen, if I'm the most helpless guy in the universe and I need the resource of God as much more than anybody else, who am I going to look down my nose at?
Who am I going to demean and belittle? Who's going to be less than I am? And the only way I can demean and belittle is I'm not as helpless as they are. Well, Manly, you, that, that's impossible. I know. I can't feel that way. I get that. I can't help my prejudices. I know. I can't help the, the I, when I feel hurt, I feel hurt. I know. I know. I understand. This is impossible. You're right. Which proves his point. You're helpless, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely helpless. And do you believe, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a possibility, that there is a, there is a chance, do you believe that there's a possibility that there is a redemptive almighty God who literally created me in helplessness and literally wants to come in all of his fullness and literally wants to invade my flesh and give me his heart so I feel like he feels. Give me his emotions so I feel like he feels. Give me his heart and mind so I think like he thinks. Give me his insides like so that my insides and his insides are linked together and I can become an expression of his redemptive qualities. And if that took place, what would you call that? Well, that would be Christian. And anything that's not sourced by that divine is sin. So in Matthew chapter 6, where he's going with this, he's going to say, hey, you can stand on the street corner at the proper time of prayer, and you planned it. You planned to be on the street corner at the time of prayer. So you could stand there on the street corner, and you could, and everybody, yay. See, you blow the trumpet when you give your charitable deeds. Why? Oh. Because you, you, you're so helpless, you feed. And if you don't do it for the praise of others, you do it for the praise of yourself. It makes you feel good. But wouldn't it be something to enter into the very essence of the life of God until he began to flow through you and stuff just happened. You just did stuff. You just, he just sourced it in your life. It just flowed. And you gave a cup of cold water, but somehow when the guy drank the cold water, he was getting a good drink of Jesus. And when the guy bit you, he was getting a taste of Jesus for the first time. And when you rubbed shoulders with the druggie, somehow he was getting a sense of the love of God in his life. And when you walked into the room, it was like Jesus just showed up. Is that possible? Is that possible? Is that possible for a guy like me? And if it is, oh, I want it. 
can I know him like that? Come on, folks, this is not a finger in your face. This is not a bawling out. This is, wow, could, could this, is this within the realm of our experience? Could we move from just doing church stuff, prayer hours, charitable deeds? Well, don't kill anybody. To being aggressive instruments of the presence of God. And I figured out what my wife really needs in her life. She needs a husband that has this. He's going to get into the marriage deal. We'll not get there. But he goes into the marriage thing. And oh, what we've done to those two verses. <laughs> we've looked at it for what's the grounds of divorce. He's not even talking about that. You know what he's saying. You guys want to get rid of your wife. Why do you want to get rid of her? He says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to examine what you're causing in her. What are you talking about? What do you cause? Well, I come home from work, which you know is a joke, or preachers don't work. I came home from work, wow. All agitated and upset. I spill all over. What, how does she react to me? What did I just cause? See, am I reaching into my, into my wife, my partner of life, and am I drawing them into prayer? Am I drawing them into security? Am I drawing them into trust? And I'm drawing them into Jesus. Wouldn't it be something if my wife had to live with a guy that was full of Jesus like this? And he just reached out and grabbed a hold of her and just pulled her into sainthood. Just pulled her. Hey, the reason my wife is so spiritual is because she lives with Jesus. <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be something? That's ministry, folks. That's us. Jesus, I got to have this. I got to have you in my life like this. And I don't know what you need to do in me. I have no idea what needs to go, what needs to come. But I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, whatever you need to take out of me, whatever you need to put in me, whatever walls there are, whatever barriers there are, whatever doors are locked, kick in the door. Bring a bulldozer. Don't be gentle. Bring a bulldozer. Plow into my life. And remove, and remove everything in my life that would blockade the reality of the total embrace of my helplessness and the merger of your presence. I want your mind. Oh God, I want to think like you think. I want your heart. I want to feel like you feel. I want your emotions. I want the attitude that you would have. I want to be, I don't want to just preach. I don't want to just do redemptive activities. I don't want to just baptize people. I just don't want to go on witnessing night. Lord, I want to be a redemptive force.
in my community, in Walmart, in my job. I want to see my job not as a job to make money. I want to see my job as, wow, God has called me to the mission field. And I'm in full-time ministry of the expression of his life among the guys that I confront day after day. I got to have this. Heads are bowed. I would encourage you, again, not, don't go too big with this. Would you look at one area in your life, one bitterness, one hurt, one upset, one pattern, one, I don't know, one relationship, one person you can't stand, one, just one thing. And would you recognize your helplessness in it? And would you open up that one area in helplessness and let him invade? Redemptively invade your life. No cover-up. Just a sincere heart that says, oh, I got to have you like this. And hey, I'm hitting the altar again tonight. And folks, for me, it's not show. It's for me, it's not, I'm prim not priming the pump, trying to get you to come so I come first. I'm not trying to do that. You'll come if you want to. You won't if you don't want to. But I want, I want him in my life like this. I want to go to the depth of this thing. I got to have him. So, hey, here we are in these moments of seeking. Our altar's open. If you'd like to join me. God, we've, um, we've seen the problem, and it's us. It's our pride. It's our inability to be vulnerable and broken before you. It's our unwillingness, Lord, to acknowledge that we need you. We're the problem. And the solution is, is so beautifully presented by our evangelist and so, so wonderfully um, provided in the scripture is not for us to do more, but to be open, Lord, and willing and broken before you. Lord, that, that we would become living sacrifices, that we'd pour ourselves out on an altar and allow your spirit to invade our lives to such an extent that you can begin to transform us, to renew our minds 
to change us from the inside out. Lord, too often we, we go about this from the wrong way. We, 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 we work to, to modify behavior. We, we, we manage and we, and we strive and we try when you're calling us just to give ourselves fully to you and allow your spirit to do the work. So, Lord, I, I confess uh, there's times I've tried when the answer wasn't trying harder, but it was just simply giving myself up for you. Help me, Lord, to see those areas and to respond to those areas uh, with um, obedience, uh, with brokenness. Your word says where we are weak, you are strong. And, and Lord, we, we don't want to show those weaknesses. We want to be strong. Jesus emptied himself. And your word invites us to have the mind of Jesus, to think like Jesus, to see like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to empty ourselves so that we can be full of you. So now, Lord, as we, we leave this place, my prayer for our people, for me, is that we won't leave this, this moment but as we leave this place, Lord, may we allow your spirit to continue his work within us, to convict us, to draw us. Lord, as we see those, those areas of our life that's not in line with Jesus, that we won't brush them off, we won't justify them, but we'll allow your spirit to point to those areas and begin a fresh work within us. Lord, may we, um, when we're tempted, be angry. May we not just say, well, that's the way it is. But Lord, may we strive for the way you want it to be. Now, Lord, I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful for your spirit that's here. I'm thankful for the, the, the honesty and the directness of our evangelist. Lord, may we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. May we want that more than anything. May we see, Lord, that in that we find life. Now, Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who came and he suffered and died on our behalf. He came to give us life. May we seize that gift. May we receive that gift. May, may we be broken before you, Lord, so you can fill us with your spirit in a fresh way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, God bless.